You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. We're pleased to be joined by U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen. Thank you so much for joining Bloomberg TV here in Japan. Thanks for the invitation. Oh, excellent. So, unfortunately for you, in a way, what is looming over this G7 meeting is these concerns coming out of Washington, the debt ceiling negotiations, as well as still tremors in the banking industry. I want to start with the debt ceiling. Sure. Of course, uh, Wall Street is very concerned about this. There is that X date approaching that you laid out potentially as soon as June 1st. But there's an assumption on Wall Street that if there's no negotiated deal after June 1st, Treasury will still maintain payments on securities. Is that assumption correct? Look, you know, what, all I can say is that there is no satisfactory solution for the United States, um, a solution that will be good for the economy and financial markets, other than Congress acting to raise the debt ceiling. Um, there are potential different paths that could be taken if that doesn't happen, but there is not a single um, thing that can be done that will save the United States from considerable um, economic and financial damage. But this plan was outlined back in 2011, and you were there at the FOMC meeting about it, and it said that Treasury principals and securities would be paid. Is this something that, at least for contingency plan, has been discussed with the president? So my understanding, um, I was at the Fed in 2011, is that this plan was never presented to the president and never approved. And, but would you um, present it now? Look, we would. Um, we, we are working full-time to uh, work with Congress to raise the debt ceiling. That's where our focus is. We know that the only good outcome is one in which Congress act, acts as it has Um, many times, almost 80 times Mm -hmm. since 1960, to um, raise the debt ceiling. What global markets and American households and businesses need to see is that we have a Congress that's committed um, to paying the bills that we've incurred as a consequence of our legislation, that we're not a deadbeat country. Mm -hmm. And if Congress fails to do that, 
it really impairs our credit rating. We have to default on some obligation, whether it's treasuries or payments to Social Security recipients. Um, that's something America hasn't done since 1789, and we shouldn't start now. So um, we've not discussed what to do um, if that doesn't occur with the president, our focus is on getting it done. Because as you know, treasuries are the bedrock of the global financial system. And the asset managers I speak to, the investors, they don't have the luxury of not contingency planning. So at this point, should they assume that debt may not be serviced if there's no deal? Look, if Congress doesn't raise the debt ceiling, we face economic and financial catastrophe one way or the other. And that's why our focus is on making sure that Congress does raise the debt ceiling. I feel that that's something we're going to succeed at doing, and we're working hard to make sure that that, that gets done. As we get closer to June 1st, will you alert Congress on a more precise date? Yes, I will update Congress as we have available information. But um, Anything new now or still June 1st? Well, what I've said is early June um, and potentially as early as June 1. As we get closer, I may be able to provide more refined guidance. But, you know, there is a lot of uncertainty about the exact level of cash balances and payments um, that we have to make from day to day. And so... Um, there remains a level of uncertainty about precisely when we would run out of cash to be able to pay the government's bills. Jamie Dimon was on Bloomberg TV yesterday, and he said he set up a war room for contingency planning. Are you actively speaking to executives? I have talked, um, not within the last few weeks, but earlier, um, around the time in January when I sent my first letter, I talked to a number of uh, bank executives. More recently, I've talked to leaders of business, businesses in different sectors of the economy, and I will be meeting with senior bankers uh, next week when I get back. But I want to understand how they're thinking about the debt ceiling. And what I'm hearing is that it is a grave source of uncertainty that is um, one of the things that businesses are really concerned about, one of the biggest sources of uncertainty in terms of um, many big American businesses. That's where we're hearing, too, at Bloomberg. Um, how frustrated are you potentially that these bank executives you're speaking to are not putting pressure on Congress, particularly Republicans? Well, um, you know, Wall Street um, executives and American business people have always spoken out about their concerns about the debt ceiling, and I think it's appropriate for them um, to talk about how they see the debt ceiling is impacting the American economy and the global economy. Um, so those voices, we, you know, we want to hear voices of uh, people who will be affected by this. On top of all this, there's still some tremors in the banking system. In two months, almost to the date, we've had four U.S. lenders fail. But the administration continuously says that the banking sector is sound and resilient. Is that a fair assessment when you look at the regional banking sector? Well, the regional banks have been under some stress. But I think the banks that have failed have had some 
very unique characteristics that have made them vulnerable. Um, the banks that failed tended to have um, substantial um, losses, mark-to-market losses on their hold-to-maturity portfolios. So although their regulatory capital wasn't impaired, um, their tangible equity was diminished. And they simultaneously had a very high proportion of uninsured deposits. And that profile is not very common. But look, a lot of banks, particularly regional banks, um, are seeing their earnings come under pressure. Um, the amount that they're having to pay for deposits is rising, mm -hmm. and in many cases their investments are at lower interest and their stock prices are coming under pressure. But most banks now, um, even including the ones that, ha that are seeing pressure on their stock prices, have solid liquidity, would be able to manage paying off uninsured depositors if they were to flee. Um, Are you confident no other regional or small lenders will fail? Well, look, I don't want to talk about the situations of individual banks, but um, what I see is a banking system that overall is well capitalized, still has very solid earnings, and um, we've improved uh, the available liquidity mm -hmm. to the banking system and um, think that banks um, are going to be able to survive this. But, you know, we're monitoring this situation very, very carefully. The other big elephant in the room at this G7 meeting is, of course, China. And you spoke about this yesterday, how you're working with your peers to look at outbound investment, potentially, uh, when it comes to China. This would add on to what the United States has already done with export controls and sanctions. And you recently gave this speech about China and how the U.S. views economic policy. And what you made clear is that national security concerns will be paramount even if it becomes to economic concerns. So right. I'm curious why the U.S. still has tariffs on China if that is an economic benefit to many U.S. consumers. Well, look, you know, there was a, um, a so-called 301 action that was filed against China for unfair trade practices. And um, China was found guilty of... 301 violations, and those tariffs were put on place as retaliation for unfair trade practices. Um, the Trump administration arrived at an agreement with China that might have led to lowering them. China didn't carry out their part. But um, is there any national security concerns about clothing no, or upholstery? No, that's not that's not a national security concern. That's a unfair trade practices, so um, that's not national security related. We, d we do have concerns with some of the practices that China has engaged in um, with respect to trade and investment, um, whether it's forced technology transfer, massive subsidies to industries mm -hmm. um, that really distort patterns of international trade. Um, yeah, and that'll be a big topic as well when President Biden meets with his, uh, the other leaders in Hiroshima. 
But right. also on China, you, I know that you're looking forward to potentially going to Beijing. You said at the appropriate time. Yes. We now have your counterpart in place, Ho Li Fang. He's been there for several weeks. So are there any plans in the works? I, I expect to travel there. I can't tell you what the date is. Um, we have a number of senior um, American officials that are likely to go. Um, we need to sequence them appropriately. And Will you be the first? Uh, I, I, I don't know who will be the first, but um, we're working with the Chinese and discussing among ourselves what the appropriate sequence is. Any phone call is. yet, though, with um, Hu Lifeng, or you're just going to wait till you see him in person? Um, I haven't had contact yet with uh, my new counterpart. And if I could ask one final question, uh, Madam Secretary, I know you're staying on for the remainder of the Biden administration, but... President Biden also announced he's running for 2024. Would you consider another <laughs> I, four years I, at Treasury? Well, look, I, I was really thrilled to be asked to serve. I've really enjoyed the position I have. I have a lot of work to do, and that's a topic I have not yet given <laughs> any thought to. But I would like to stay until the end of the, his first term and continue on the important agenda of work that we have at Treasury. Okay, so not a no yet, maybe 2024 and beyond. Uh, Janet Yellen, U.S. Treasury Secretary, thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. Um, that was the U.S. Treasury Secretary, of course, Janet Yellen, here at the G7 meeting. And, of course, what's overshadowing all the work her and her peers are talking about is what's emanating out of Washington, and that is still this overhang on the debt ceiling, as we are now just three weeks away from as soon as we can hit that X date, June 1st. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.